today's sermon is kind of a so what uh, to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a pastor named Titus. And so there's a lot of practical application that uh, if you didn't read the letter in its entirety, you wouldn't know that it's all the overflow of this word that we use at Coastal that's in the Bible, the word gospel, which means good news. So if you're wondering why all these people are singing hallelujah to the lamb that is overcome, that's the gospel message, okay? So if you don't know Christ, the word of the Bible, the message of the Bible is not that you're a little sick and that you need a doctor or a physician. The message of the Bible is actually you're dead in your sin and what you deserve, what I deserve is the wrath of God. But God, being a good and gracious God, gave his very best gift. He took his one and only son, took on flesh, He lived a life that you and I didn't live. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned in motive, in deed, in thought, incredibly. And so therefore, Jesus did not deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. You and I do, he didn't. But rather, Jesus chose death, and it was a substitutionary death where he died on the cross, and God the Father poured out his hatred. And I mean, he hates sin because he's holy. His hatred for sin, my sin, your sin, on Christ so that he bore the penalty of sin so that you don't have to. Then Jesus died on that cross and they placed his body in a grave. And here's the deal. You ready? If he had stayed there, we wouldn't be gathered for worship this morning. Okay. We would be waiting for another Messiah, but instead he stepped out of his own grave bodily rising from the grave. Therefore, we know that he, his promises are true. All right, because he did what he said he was going to do. And so the lamb has overcome. The lamb is Jesus. And what does he overcome? Sin, death, devil, all the, thing, all the enemies of God's kingdom. He has overcome them. And now we as Christians, once by the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus in us, we now walk in the holiness and the good works that God prepared for us in advance to walk in. Everybody with me on that? And so if you don't know the gospel, that's the gospel. And today's message is a sermon about the overflow of the gospel. So I'm preaching to Christians, right? So if you're a Christian this morning, this is what Christianity looks like in a non-Christian culture, okay, or even an anti-Christian culture is where this letter was written. So let me ask you a question. If I was going to hire you for a job, so let's say I had a job for you that for the next 30 days you were going to work for me, and I was going to let you choose how you would want to be paid, Uh, and your choice would be one of two ways. Uh, For the next 30 days, you're working for me, and I give you $10,000 a day every day for 30 days, right? So at the end of your 30 days, you would have how much money? 300 grand. Some of you are like, I don't know. School is starting to get, but anyway, 300 grand, right? Or I could say, instead of paying you that way, on day one, I'm going to give you a penny, and then every day after that, I'm going to double it. So day two, you'll earn two cents. Day three, you'll earn four cents. Day four, you'll earn eight cents. Everybody with me, and we'll double it. How many of you would choose, I'll take the 10 grand for 30 days, right? All the all the financial advisors are like, it's a trick question, okay? And uh, I've said this only half jokingly. Uh, if God had not called me to be a pastor, I think I'd be a financial advisor because I've always been intrigued by the power of compounding interest, okay? It's a pretty amazing tool. So here's the deal, okay? If you chose the penny a day after a week of working for me, you would have earned 64 cents. 
If you had chosen 10,000 a day after a week of working for me, you would earn 70 grand. Doesn't sound like much of a competition, does it? By day 26, if you had chosen the penny a day, doubling it each day, by day 26, you finally would have caught up to what you had earned working at $10,000 a day. By day 26, you would have earned $335,544. By day 30, had you chosen, I'll take a penny a day, double it every day for 30 days, by day 30, you would have earned $5,368,709. That is the power of compounding interest. Isn't that amazing? And so choose the penny a day. Like go to your boss this week and go, hey, I got a, I got a new pay scale for myself. See if they'll go for it. See if they'll say, okay, I'm in. So um, today I want to talk about, and I'm going to use, I'm using the language of compounding, uh, but there's a Bible word uh, that I use a lot behind the scenes. I use the word leavening. And, I'm, and Jesus talks about this. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, leavening a lump of dough. So if you make bread and this leaven is this thing that makes the dough rise or not, I forget, rise or not rise. Some chef will tell me what it is. But it, it influences the dough slowly over time, okay? And, and so in some ways, Paul here is telling this church that they're going to have influence for the gospel slowly compounding, leavening over time. And it's going to happen in a post-Christian, or really it's going to happen for this letter, in a non-Christian culture. In fact, Paul is laying out the responsibilities for these Christians on this island called Crete. And, And the context is it's a pagan political system. In fact, not only is it a pagan political system, it's an anti-Christian political system. At the time that Paul is writing this, Christians are, are being persecuted by the Roman government because they're Christians. Now, we live in a time that if you're my age or older, uh, the culture has shifted really in a mind-numbing fashion, I think, right? And so my age people, we're kind of like, man, I grew up where we felt like our culture and our government systems were maybe pro-Christian, right? And then over time, we've seen that kind of shift to where the government and the political systems and the cultural systems have tried to be neutral to Christianity, right? And now, in the last maybe two, one to two decades, it shifted to where we can see it teetering on being an anti-Christian culture and political system, right? How many of y'all, yeah, that's, that's been kind of my, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 year journey. And so remember that what I'm about to read to you was written to Christians whose political leaders were legitimately out to get them. Everybody with me on that? So it's going to be hard for you as an American Christian to hear. So here it is. Ready? Titus 3, verse 1. This is what the overflow of the gospel in everyday life looks like for Christians. Remind them, Paul says to Titus, this young pastor, to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. This is, point number one, the responsibility for Christians in all cultures for all times. Yes? 
We are to be, letter A, as Christians, subject to rulers and human authorities. How many of you are going, oh, I, didn't, I didn't vote for that one? <clears throat> like, that's really, really hard for us to hear. I'm going to make a really bold statement. Every president that has been the president of the United States has been put in that position by the authority of God. There's no nobody with earthly authority that it hasn't been given to them by God. That includes our last two presidents or two of the most polarizing presidents. If even me mentioning the name in church will get me emails. You said Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you know, and out come the emails. I can't believe you got political this week, you know. By the way, the Bible is full of politics, full of politics. So much of the the movements of God and what God is doing to exalt the fame of Christ and advance his kingdom is tied closely to what politics is doing. Just read the book of Acts through the lens of what's happening here politically. And one of the reasons that I know that every person placed in authority is placed there by God is because Jesus said so. I love John chapter 19. It's really this fascinating interchange between Pontius Pilate, who Pontius Pilate is the, uh, is the actual authority that put, uh, unleashed the Roman soldiers to put Jesus to death. It was actually his call to unleash the government forces. The Jews were rioting and asking for the crucifixion of Christ, but it was Pilate who had the say and the authority to do it. And there's this interesting interchange between Jesus and, the, and Pontius Pilate. Now, you have to piece in the Gospel of Matthew to piece in a little bit more of what's going on with Pilate. But Pilate's wife actually had a dream that, she, that in the dream, God said, don't, you know, don't mess with Jesus kind of thing. So his wife is saying, man, you, you need to leave Jesus alone. Like, don't get him mixed up in this. But Pilate's got all this political pressure, right? The Jews actually pull the Caesar card. Right? If you don't put him to death, you're no friend of Caesar. What's happening here? Anybody? Politics, right? That's what's happening. It's political pressure. And so Jesus, and so then in the midst of this debate with the Jews, one of the Jews say, he claimed to be the son of God. That's why we need to put him to death, which actually makes Pilate all the more nervous. Like, what if he is, Right? And so in John chapter 19, after hearing this in verse 10, Pilate has a conversation with Jesus. So Pilate said to him, as he asked him, are you indeed the son of God? He said, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from where, church? From God the Father. The only reason you have authority, Pilate, is because my father gave it to you. And by the way, I'm submitting to your authority. One of the things that Pastor Andrew, our executive pastor, says to me all the time, he says, uh, if, if, if him and I are wrestling through a decision, he goes, I submit to you, you answer to God. So uh, that's a very humbling thing to think about, right? By the way, that works in your marriage. Hey, sweetie. I submit to you, but you answer to God. Anytime you're given authority, there should be a terrifying humility to that. Amen? Now, not all leaders have that. And by the way, just to whet your appetite a little bit, 
in the spring, we're going to do a three, three or four part series on how God, Christians, and government. We're actually going to do, what does the Bible say about government? Knowing we're coming into the 2024 election. And, and listen, I think Christians should be involved in government. I think, it's a, I think our founding fathers wrote the most genius form of government ever placed on the planet. No doubt. Three branches, political tensions there that give good guardrails. But at the end of the day, no government works if it's not, if it's not generally led by people who love God and are submit. Otherwise, it, it's just a mess, right? And so... Listen, I think we should be involved in government, for sure. We, we have the opportunity. I think Christians, you should vote, and you should steward your vote with a, with a biblical worldview. And by the way, when I talk about biblical worldview, here's what I mean by I'll give you a couple specifics. This, this is where the emails will come in, okay? Let me give you a couple specifics. We should be looking for government leaders, men and women, that are, see themselves as humble servants ultimately to the Lord, Right? And one of the, so, so there's some things in their policies and politics that let us know that. You ready? I, I look for political leaders that are pro-life. Because what you think about life and where it starts and how we protect the most innocent has touches on all areas of life. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be voting for someone that's pro-choice. Now, there's tons of issues. Why did I pick that one? I just gave you the reason why. How you view life as precious, beginning by God, tells me a lot about you and your worldview. Okay? I, 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 I look for politicians that are small government. I, I believe the Bible actually teaches that we have personal responsibility. We're to work hard to take care of our families. I'm not looking to the government to take care of my family or my retirement or like in, we're to work hard. This is what a Christian worldview looks like. Listen, I, I, it is good for a government to lean towards the God of the Bible because that blesses all of culture. Everybody with me? Don't email me this week. Take a break, take a week off, think about it before you email me, all right? I want Christians to run for politics, and I know there's some in this church that are running for some local politics. I'm, I praise God for you, and I'm thankful that you're involved. But here's the deal. You ready? The government is not my hope. Amen? This text was written to Christians that the government was anti-Christianity. And so what Paul says to Titus is teach the Christians, let her be, to do good. Just just. Be an influence in the culture. Think about your life as leavening. Think about your life as the power of compounding interest. My, one of my favorite commentators and pastor from California, John MacArthur, I was reading his commentary on this passage. He said this. He says, when Christians become political, sinners become the enemy instead of the mission field. I... Uh, Years ago, uh, I read uh, an article about Michael Jordan. He was being pressured by some in the Democratic Party to be more political. And he was asked why he didn't get more involved in politics. Here was his answer. Anybody know his answer? Some of you probably know his answer. He said, because Republicans buy tennis shoes too. Pretty smart, right? Pretty smart. Listen, whatever political party you lean towards, the people in the other party, ultimately, as a Christian, need Christ. They don't need your political view. They need Jesus. 
As Christians, our, our job is to see everybody that God allows us to interact with as an opportunity to share Jesus, to serve them, to do good, Paul says. He says one of the ways we do this, letter C, is by being careful with our speech. Be careful with how we choose to speak. To speak evil, Titus 3.2, of no one. Did you speak evil of anyone this week? Even when they weren't around? Were you watching your favorite news station with its political bent? And go, I can't believe. Speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. Does this sound like how the world views Christians in the political arena? To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now listen, I understand, I, as a pastor of all things, I totally understand. There are times as a Christian, scripturally speaking, we have to say, well, the Bible says this is true. And sometimes in speaking the truth, it comes across as, man, you're being firm, you're being hateful. But, you know, I do believe, as you do, and most of you do in this room, the truth sets you free because Jesus said that, right? You'll know the truth. So we have to stand on truth, but we can do it in a way that's kind and avoids quarreling, right? It includes tone. It includes nonverbal communication. It includes social media, right? Like, how, how are we going to use our communication in such a way, ultimately, first and foremost, to show love? I care for you. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to point you to the one who pulled me out of the pig pen and set my feet on solid ground and set me walking to, to the way of eternal life. And so Paul encourages us as Christians, letter D, to live lifestyles of kindness. Listen, this text was written to an early church that had zero, zero political power. Let me say that again. This text was written to a church on the island of Crete under Roman authority that had zero political power. And in fact, they were being persecuted because they were Christians, yet because they took the letter of Titus serious. And they said, you know what? Instead of worrying about politics, instead of trying to overthrow the Roman government, we're going to do what the Apostle Paul has commanded us to do. In this church with zero political power in less than 300 years had turned politics on his head to where Constantine declared Christianity to be the government's main uh, religion. Can you even imagine that? How did they do that? Well, let's go back to Titus 1. Preach the gospel. Build healthy churches. Have a healthy church governance system so that the gospel is guarded and goes forward. Chapter 2, old people, instruct the young people, find somebody to disciple. Chapter 2, build God-centered marriages and homes that honor the Lord. Young guys, get a job, work hard, grow up. Remember that? We talked about that. Right? We, we teach sound doctrine, we honor, we love, we serve the world around us with kindness and thoughtfulness. The early church, through these means, the means that the world often scoffs at, leavened the culture to such a way that Christianity in less than 300 years became a majority in a culture that started out persecuting them. Isn't that amazing? They took care of one another. And these methods include... Number two, and Pastor Spencer kind of prayed this, right? Remembering who we were before we knew Jesus. Like sometimes we ought to look at the culture around us and go, hey, you know what? I, if not for the grace of God, there go I. 
He says, remember who you were before you knew Jesus, which brings humility. It's verse three, right? Now, he's not talking about self-loathing, like, oh, woe is me about my past. But he's talking about the idea of, of just humility. Man, if Christ had not intervened in my life, I would be thinking like the rest of the culture. For we ourselves, Titus 3, 3, we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others. That's what we were before Christ intervened. But man, Paul says there's some value in pausing from time to time as we're looking at the culture around us and going, you know what? If God hadn't saved me, I'd be thinking along the same lines. It's the grace of God, which is number three, right? This is why Paul says, remember how God saved you. How did he save you? By his grace alone. Stop being so angry at everybody around you, the, the, the culture that seems to be anti-Christian. You don't have to be angry about it because if God didn't intervene on your behalf, you'd be the same way. Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. How? Not by works done by us in righteousness. In other words, we don't, listen, if you don't understand the gospel, if you're new to coastal, you're checking this thing called Jesus out. Here's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. You don't earn salvation. It's been earned for you. The perfect works of Christ are credited to you so that you can stand in the presence of a holy God perfect, not because you're perfect, because Christ was perfect, and his good works get gifted to you by grace alone through faith alone, right? So verse 5, he saves us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul here is very, very clear that every aspect of your salvation of knowing God is a gift of God. He has been kind to you. His mercy and grace has been unearned by you, but earned for you. He saved you from sin, not by your effort, but by his mercy alone. He washed you. He regenerated you. He gave you a new thought process. He gave you a new worldview. This is John chapter three. He born you again into a new family. Why? Because that's that's what he wanted to do for you. And he graciously sent Jesus, his one and only son, to pay a debt that he didn't owe. Jesus paid your debt of rebellion against the holy God because that's what God wanted to do by his grace. And we, as we interact, as we leaven the culture, as we think about the compounding interest that my life compounds for the glory of God and for the fame of God. It's because of God's grace alone. Now, why? We ask this question almost every single week. Like, why doesn't when we become a Christian, God just take us to heaven? Because, number four, we've been sent, he leaves us here to be on mission. Titus 3.8, saying is trustworthy. We get to be a part of the establishment of the kingdom of God. God, could, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he chooses to involve us. And so Paul says to Titus, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. This is really, this is where the leavening concept comes in, right? The compounding interest. Look at this. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. 
Do you hear what he's saying? You've been left to do good works and it blesses everyone. You ready, you teachers that are teaching in the public schools and it's gotten really hard? Like, I don't know if I can keep going. And that's a personal decision. That's up to you. But here's what I know. While you're in there, you're doing good for the glory of God and is blessing everyone. You're leavening the community. I praise God for you. Go, teachers, go. Okay? Those of you who serve in the police force, I'm hearing more of this, like military. It's getting woke. It's getting harder. It's getting woke. Listen, you, you can get out. You ready? All the big companies are getting woke too. Where are you going to go? It's getting hard, but here's the deal. You ready? Do good works as, as worship to the Lord, and it's good for all people. You're leavening the culture as you serve the Lord. This early church, it was not easy. The government was literally out to get them. But God was working. As you worship the Lord day in and day out, being saying, you know what, it's hard, but I'm a servant today, and I'm here to serve the Lord at the shipyard, at the police force, at the, at the school system. Some of you are sitting here like, I work for you at the church. It ain't easy either, all right? But we're doing it for the glory of God. And Paul's just summing it up in its simplest form. When we know Christ, we, we work hard and we raise a family and we have hobbies and we do all these things, but we understand there's not a wasted moment of my day. Every single moment of my day is the opportunity to leaven the culture for the glory of God, for the spread of the kingdom of God, and it multiplies on itself like compounding interest till the day that our faith becomes sight. Isn't that great? Pretty cool, isn't it? Which leads to point number five. Like, here's what us Christians tend to do. We get bogged down easily. Don't get so easily bogged down. Even in your church stuff, you can get bogged down. Be careful. Don't get bogged. Like, you're leavening. You're compounding. You're do, your life is making a difference. And so he says, be careful. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. He's talking about probably the Old Testament law. But they're unprofitable and they're worthless. And by the way, if there's someone in your church who stirs up division after warning him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he's self-condemned. You know what he's saying? When it comes to church life, ain't nobody got time for that. We ain't got time for that. Either, either get in or get out, but don't, don't disunify the church. Amen? We need to stay silent where the Bible is silent. When I first became the pastor, I'm 29, 30 years old, walked into the building for the first week of my ministry. And let's tell you how old I am. Somebody comes up to me, Pastor Sean, what do, you, what do you think about Harry Potter? I don't know. I ain't even read it. They ain't even made the movies yet. You know, how am I supposed to watch it? Listen, I, like, I ain't getting bogged down in Harry Potter. I ain't got time for that. Even like things in the Bible that I would call tier three issues, letter B, like be careful that we don't let tier three issues disunify the church. In our doctrine at Coastal, this is what we believe about end times. That's the language a lot of people, well, I call it eschatology, end times. We believe Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. Some, those who have received Christ to eternal life and those who have rejected the gospel to eternal punishment. That's what we believe about end times. Yeah, but Pastor John, what about the details? 
look, we'll grab a cup of coffee. I'll tell you what I believe about the details. And then when Christ returns and we're going up, I'll look and say, see, I told you so. Okay, but we'll debate about that later. We, uh, if you're new to Coastal, one of the things you got to know, we, uh, we hold up the Bible about, about, I would say, 75% of our preaching calendar is we just go through books of the Bible because I'm too stupid to come up with creative sermon topics. You know, I really am. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Let's do Titus 3, okay? So, and see what, say what that says. And, uh, but with that, we cover some of these tier three issues, okay? But they don't disunify us. So when we preach the first Corinthians, I get to first Corinthians 14 and we talk about, man, where do we land on the gift of tongues? And some of you go, now we're finally getting to something important. Right? Where does, where does Coastal stand on miraculous gifts? Listen, here's where Coastal stands on miraculous gifts. God has already done the most miraculous thing took his son, he took on flesh, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he stepped out of his own grave. If there's never another miracle that ever happens, he never intervenes supernaturally after that, that's all we need. That's where we're going to focus. Does God still intervene and heal? Of course he does, but he doesn't have to because he's already taken care of the great healing. When your loved one who knows Christ passes, they're healed for all eternity, right? Do we want him to intervene now? Yep, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But we don't want tier three issues to disunify the church because, let us see, I believe what Paul is reminding us here is there is a power of a unified church. Let me say that again because you all zoned out. There is power in a unified church. Amen? Amen? There is a power when we pull together our time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God blesses to leaven the community. There are many, many of you that sacrifice your time to be a part of this church. I praise God. We couldn't do it without you. Blocks of your time. Sunday morning. Some of you have been here since 6.30 this morning so that we can gather corporately and worship the Lord and talent. God has called us to sacrifice our, let me get the word right, sacrifice our treasure for the good of the gospel. I read a statistic this week. Christians, not lost people, Christians give 2.3% of their income to their local church. Listen, I think the Bible teaches that as Christians, we should be giving a, tie, a tenth, 10% as a starting point of generosity to our local church so that we unify together for the glory of the gospel. Next Sunday at Battery Park, they are doing their first baptism in decades at that location where someone's standing up and going, I was lost and I'm found. Okay, you ready? That couldn't happen unless, now listen, God could do it another way. God doesn't need Coastal. God doesn't need Sean. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need, he can do it however he wants, but there is power in a unified church. And God, for whatever reason, to his praise and glory is using Coastal. It would, as best through the lens that I can see, it wouldn't be happening at Battery Park unless you guys, we are pulling our time, talent, and treasure together. So you know what? We're going to adopt some campuses and we're going to multiply did you know that in America, the church in America is dying? 
Church in America is dying. Coastal has six growing campuses. Did you know that Gloucester, since it, since it opened the new building, and we haven't even ribbon cut yet. We haven't done the ribbon cut and grand opening. That's next week. But since we opened the doors of the new building, its attendance is up 25%. That's 25%. Those are people. That's not a number. Those are people. They're coming and hearing the gospel for the glory of God. So you ready for this? I have no shame in saying there's power in the unified church. I want you to be a part of giving your time, talent, and treasure because I believe in the next, in a short amount of time, God willing, we're going to have 10 campuses. And I have no shame in asking for that because I want to see 10 leavening the community for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then maybe it goes to 20, and then maybe it goes international. I know I'm blowing your mind, but for whatever reason, as God unifies this church for the glory of God and the fame of Christ, we pull our time, talent, and treasure. God is allowing us to reach people that don't know Christ and encourage the believers because there is power in the unified church. Amen? And we want to continue to walk together in union, which leads to the final point this morning. And this is point number six, the power of community. Now, a lot of people just skim over the last couple of verses of Paul's letters because he's signing off, okay? But I really like this, so I'm going to read it to you and make three quick points. Number, here we go, Titus 3, 12 to 15. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. At first I read this and I thought, He's a snowbird. He wants to live in Florida. Okay, so, but no, it snows in Nicopolis too. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer. I thought, man, we all need a lawyer from time to time. Hurry up. Hurry up. Send the lawyer, right? And Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. And let your people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the case, cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Three things I want to pull out here really quick. First of all, the Bible te does not teach that we do Christianity alone. We don't do Christianity alone. We need to be a part of a church. That's our We Are Coastal class, by the way. That's the on-ramp to becoming a member, saying, I'm going to join with other people, linking arms together with our time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God and the gospel of Christ. Listen, look at this camera. If you have been joining us online since COVID, I'm thrilled, but this is not the church. It's now time to say, you know what? I need to be in community online as a supplement. And I'm thrilled we have it. We have it for our shut-ins. We have it for our military men and women as they travel. We have it for the times you're on vacation. But this is not the church. Online is a supplement. You have to be in community. Yet singing Yes, I Will is way better in community than in your car by yourself. Amen? Right? God made that that way. Like you start singing with other believers, you get encouraged. Like you're low, you know, the burdens of the week melt away. Why? Because God designed corporate worship that you do together, not online. And the apostle doesn't do Christianity alone. Secondly, letter B, we all have needs that others can meet. Paul had a need. Send me the lawyer. I need some help. Listen, there's going to be a time that you will need someone in this body, this church body. You'll need somebody for counseling. You'll need somebody to help you untangle from a sin that you got yourself into. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need wisdom. You're going to need help moving a piano in your house. There are all, we all have things where we need others to help us. 
And so a church is about, hey, I've got needs that need to be met. And letter C, we all have something to give. Hey, I'm sending you Titus, some guys that I've invested in, and once I send them to you, I need you to come to me. Which, by the way, letter D, sounds a lot like multiply and making disciples, yes? That you connect, grow, this is how we're making disciples of Coastal Connect, corporate worship, grow in a small group, serve in a ministry, a mission, and now multiply. We need to multiply so that we can send. Listen, your small group shouldn't come to a screeching halt because you ain't there. You should be developing someone that you can hand it off to. Your ministry shouldn't come to a screeching halt because you got sick that day. You should be developing. So all of us should be developing people that we can send so that the gospel goes forward and leavens through the power of a unified church. Everybody with me? Because God has called us to leaven. It's the power of compounding interest that we're spreading the kingdom of God one relationship at a time. I'm going to finish with this and close a prayer. Um, invite the worship team up about... It was somewhere either late 2011 or 2012 that my wife's grandfather passed, and, um, and, and he was a very special man to me. I did not grow up knowing my grandparents uh, that well, and, but like I got to know my wife's grandfather really, really well. And so for me, when he passed and we buried him, it was for me, it was like burying, I say it was like burying Abraham, man. He, just lo- he was a patriarch in our family. And uh, he pastored a small church for over 40 years in a, in a town in, on Long Island called Syosset. was the name of the city of Syosset. It's a very wealthy community. And so because it's so wealthy, wealth blinds people to their need of the gospel. And it was just hard work. Most weeks he didn't preach to more than 40 people, even though he was a godly man and a great pre- preacher. And, but at his funeral, when we showed up for his funeral, that building was packed uh, with over 200 people. Uh, there were... 10 or 15 pastors or missionaries that he had invested in and sent out. He, it, was, it was the longest funeral I'd ever been a part of because they asked five of these pastors to speak. Listen, never, never, never give a microphone to a pastor and say, here you go, you got two minutes, okay? Forget it, all right? It was the long, I was like, this, this funeral's never gonna end. But I looked around the room and I thought, man, what an impact for Jesus as he served faithfully where he was and he leavened the culture. And then afterwards, after the funeral, we went down into the basement of this church. This church is at this point, the building is probably 50 years old. Anybody, any of y'all, have like a funeral reception or a wedding reception in the basement of a musty church that's 40 or 50 years old. Anybody done that? Oh yeah, a couple of you. All right. So we're down there and we're eating, you know, our food and I'm looking, looking around them and I'm sitting in a, at the table, folding table with metal chairs with my two brother-in-laws. And, uh, and I knew both of their wives and my wife, all three girls coming from my father-in-law were Christians and they're raising Christian families. And I, I have to do the math about how many grandkids, probably a dozen grandkids. They're all being raised in the Lord. And and I looked at my brother-in-laws, and I looked around this old musty basement that my wife's grandfather had literally built with his own hands. And I said, you know what? Our wives learned about Jesus in these Sunday school rooms. And my brothers-in-laws looked up at me, and they're like, you're an idiot, okay? But, But I was just thinking about that, you know? Some of you are getting ready to do children's ministry or you have done children's ministry. You, you do not know the influence you're having today. 
some of you are going to come. Is there student ministry tonight? Is there student ministry? Some of you are going to come help with student ministry tonight. I don't even know if there is student. Is there student ministry tonight? Is Jason in here? Yeah, I got student ministry tonight. You're, you're making an impact that you'll never know. Men's ministry and small group ministry and parenting and raising your kids in the Lord and working on Tuesday. And your time off is a Sabbath to refresh and rejuvenate because God has left you here to make an influence and an impact, to leaven the community as God stacks one godly day that you make upon the next for a lifetime. It's compounding interest. And then you hand off to the next generation, and it's compounding until the day that your faith becomes sight. And when our faith becomes sight, we're going to stand before God. And I pray this for each of you. This will be my prayer blessing for you. You'll stand before God, and you will hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, cho- you took what I gave you and you used it. Welcome into paradise. Amen, church. That's my prayer for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. We're, uh, prayer team, come on up. If you need prayer today, if you came in, your burden was heavy this week, and you just need to talk to somebody, our prayer team is here for you, and they would, they would love to. They stay here long after the service, and they would love to pray with you. Father, I pray your blessing on these believers, God. These are some of the most amazing people. I thank God for the members and the attenders of Coastal Church. I thank you that they are serious-minded about using their time, talent, treasure to spread the gospel. God, I pray that you would encourage them, because not all the days are easy, and sometimes we lose sight that, uh, that there's a difference being made. Paul's really, really clear as we, as the overflow of the gospel, as we do good to serve you, oh God, it makes a difference in others. Leavening, it's sometimes it's unseen and sometimes it takes a while. But we trust that you're using the lives of this church body to spread the kingdom. One loving, gracious, good, kind, thoughtful act at a time the glory of God the Father, for the gospel of Jesus, until the day our faith becomes sight. And so God, we now leave reminding that we're building our lives upon Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.